All right, I want you to notice verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look what it says. It says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So we're going to continue talking about mysteries. And so far, we've been looking at mysteries that are no longer mysteries anymore. But now we're getting into some mysteries that are still kind of mysteries. Ones we don't fully uh, completely understand yet. They have not happened yet or not been fulfilled yet. And it mentions the mystery of iniquity here in verse 7. And so before we uh, get into an explanation of what the mystery of iniquity is, we need to uh, take some time to look at context in this passage. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is one of our main passages that we use you know, to prove a post-trib rapture. We think it is very clear just when you read it that it may, that the Bible says the day of Christ is not at hand, that that day should not come. And it names off some things that have to happen first. And the abomination of desolation is mentioned in there. And we believe it's after the abomination of desolation when the rapture comes. And this passage here, I mean, I have heard so many people try to explain away what is just written right in there. Clear as a bell. I listened to one yesterday. I just watched a video yesterday of a pastor refuting what we teach in second Thessalonians chapter two. And when you hear this guy, I mean, it just shows how desperate these people are to refute what we're teaching and how desperate they are to hang on to a pre-trib rapture. But the thing is, we keep on taking away all their scriptures that they use. We keep on showing that the inconsistencies. And so they're constantly updating what they teach about this chapter. And when I heard this interpretation of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I mean, it just showed me more than ever, we are obviously right. And it's funny too, because I can't keep track of how a pre-tribber interprets different passages on the rapture because they keep changing. They keep updating it. And this guy actually said that the day of Christ is not the rapture. He said that. He said the day of Christ is not the rapture because it's very clear in 2 Thessalonians 2, that it's not imminent. And we know the rapture is imminent, but the day of Christ is not imminent. And I want to show you kind of how we explain this and, and just show how easy it is to refute, to show the desperation of people to hang on to this pre-trib doctrine. So, you know, what, but we've got to do though, before we get into the mystery of iniquity and show all this, you know, we need to do what most Baptists fail to do. And that is, you know, look at context. And this is what kills them every time. They don't look at context. They zero in on a verse and on a phrase. They say it all the time. And they don't look at the verses before and after it or sometimes even the chapter before and the chapter after it. But we believe this passage clearly teaches that rapture uh, cannot come until the man of sin is revealed. And we believe that takes place at the abomination of desolation. I'm not convinced, and I could be wrong on this, I'm not convinced that we will know who the antichrist is until the abomination of desolation i could be dead wrong on that but it's very clear that that abomination of desolation is a crucial point it is mentioned many times and in according to this passage it looks like that is when he is revealed at the abomination of desolation and so uh you know but in this video where this pastor is trying to refute what we teach you know he taught the day of christ was not the rapture and he agreed the day of Christ was not imminent. And it's funny because, you know, he rebukes preachers like me in this that he says we're putting fear 
into the hearts of God's people, telling them that they're going to go through tribulation. You know, we're going to be in a lot of trouble on Judgment Day for putting fear into the hearts of God's people. But you know, that's not what we're doing, okay? Because in John chapter 16, verse 1, this is what we're doing. We're doing exactly what Jesus did here in John chapter 16. Out in John chapter 15, Jesus has given the disciples a bunch of bad news. He's told them about some things that are coming up that they're not going to like. And in verse 1 of chapter 16, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. So Jesus, he's telling them. And the reason I'm telling you all this bad news is so you won't be offended. Unfortunately, it's going to happen, so I've got to tell it to you. And you know what? While the thought of going through tribulation is not necessarily exciting, if it's true, shouldn't we be telling people about it? And we're not doing it to scare people. We're doing it so they won't be offended. And that's what's going to happen in these pre-trib churches when all of a sudden they find themselves in tribulation, they're going to be offended because they've been lied to. They've been told that they're not going to face tribulation. And so we're not trying to scare people. We're just trying to prepare people. Okay? You know, you, we don't go and get angry at the weatherman when he's telling us about a hurricane or a blizzard or something coming our way. They're trying to warn people. You know, we're not going to go out and protest those places saying, you know, how dare they scare people? They're not trying to scare people. They're trying to prepare people so they can, you know, make plans so they can maybe evacuate if they need to evacuate. And what we're just trying to do is tell people, this is what God says coming. Not trying to scare you, but the fact is, this is going to happen and we don't want people to be offended. And so, uh, I want to show you one of the things that he did, okay? Because he said, you know, we teach that the day of Christ is the rapture. The rapture of the church. He kept saying rapture of the church. Okay? And that just kind of shows the dispensationalism in him, even though you don't see that phrase, rapture of the church in the Bible. It's not the rapture of the church, it's the rapture of the saved. Okay? And that's another subject for another day, but saved people are going up in the rapture, okay? Not just people who are members of a local New Testament church. All the saved are going up, but they say that term rapture of the church all the time. Whenever you hear somebody say rapture of the church, just mark it down. They got their terminology from a textbook somewhere and not the Bible, okay? And I'm going to show you too another term he kept using that is not in our King James Bible at all, but it is in the Darby translation of the Bible. And if you don't know who Darby is, Darby is the father of modern dispensationalism who wrote his own version of the Bible. And I'll show you that in a little bit too. I thought that was interesting. These people don't even know that their terminology, that their doctrine does not come from the King James Bible. It comes from other versions of the Bible. And it comes from textbooks that were written by people who did not believe in the authority of the King James Bible. And that's why these people are so messed up. But look what it said. This is how he read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the rapture of the church. I'm just going to say rapture, okay? Because it's rapture the same. But I'll, I'll do it the way he did it. By the rapture of the church and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, is that the rapture of the church is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For the rapture of the church shall not come 
except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And he said, now listen, why would they be troubled at the thought of the rapture? It's clear that these people are in tribulation. Why would they be concerned at the thought that the rapture is at hand? And man, I'm glad he asked that question. Because that actually, I, should, I could preach a whole message on that, I think is a needed message that I probably will preach in the future. But there is a very good reason that they were concerned that the rapture could be coming at any moment, at that teaching. And I'll show you that in a little bit. But once again, let's look at some context. These people never look at context. And let's go look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 3, notice it says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Paul's commending them here because their faith is growing. All right? This is a church that's growing in faith. Maybe it's a, I don't know everything about it. Maybe it's a young church. But they are. They're growing. They're making progress. Okay? But this clearly is not a you know, real strong mature church. This is one that's probably a young church that's growing in faith. And they're in tribulation. It says in verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations which ye endure. So these people are already going through tribulation. So it's like, shouldn't they be comforted at the thought of the rapture? I mean, isn't that what our blessed hope is? You know, the imminent return of Christ that we won't have to go through any tribulation. And after they teach, I'll, I'll touch on that here in a second. But they were, they were already in tribulation. But Paul was comforting them with the fact that Jesus is going to take care of their enemies at His coming. Look what it says in verse 4. So that we ourselves, or I read verse 4, verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Notice that, counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Seeing it is a righteous thing, with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you which are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Notice that, how He's telling you to rest and He mentions when Jesus is revealed with His mighty angels. Okay? Now, what a lot of that preacher crowd would like to say was, well, that's Armageddon. But no, actually, it's at the rapture is when He's coming with His angels because He's going to send His angels to gather the elect. And He's telling them, you know, to rest with us. Talk about when He's revealed. And there's other passages. I wish we had time to show some parallel passages with that. We don't have time. But it says, "...in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall be come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day." It's talking here about His coming it's going to be a time when He's going to be glorified in His saints. Okay, How's that going to happen? Well, guess what? What happens at His coming? We're changed. We're made like Him. You know, and we're waiting for that. And it's going to happen because we're saved. It's clear this time that He's talking about His coming is something that we're going to be here for. Okay, And I, I don't think... I think even a pre-tribber, I could be wrong, would agree that what He's talking about here in chapter 1 is the rapture. Alright? But all of a sudden, when we get to chapter 2, he's not talking about the rapture anymore. But it's very clear this is something that we're waiting for, that we're watching for, and Paul is comforting that, you know what? Jesus Christ is coming back one of these days, and He is going to take care of your enemies. And so, he gets to chapter 2, 
and he's beseeching them by the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto him. Okay? You, you have to admit that that's the rapture right there. Our gathering together unto him. And we never, unfortunately, we, we never should have called it the rapture. Because it's not a biblical word. And so when people see words like gathering, they don't necessarily think rapture. Even though in Matthew chapter 24, he will send his angels to gather his elect. He uses the term gather there. uses the term gather here in 2 Thessalonians 2. But if we called it the gathering, well, then the dispensations are going to have a really hard time in saying, well, the gathering in Matthew 24, it's of the Jews when the, it says gathering here to the Thessalonians. Talking about them. But he's, so he's telling them about the coming of the Lord and he's telling them not to be shaken in mind or be troubled. Now, why would anyone be troubled at the thought of an imminent return of Christ? Well, one possibility, and I don't think this was necessarily it, but these people are already in tribulation. And if the day of Christ is at hand, then that would mean the tribulation they were enduring was about to get worse. Because according to what we believe, the abomination of desolation is going to happen and then there shall be great tribulation such as never was. And if these people believe that, they're thinking, man, things are already tough and things are about to get tougher. And so that could be one reason, but I don't necessarily think that was why they were troubled by it. I think the reason they were probably troubled is because they weren't ready to meet him. Well, how, how is that? I mean, what do you have to do to be ready to meet Jesus? It's just be saved, right? And right here, and this is what I could preach a whole message on. This is the modern day American Christian mentality. We are so carnal. We are so spoiled. We are so selfish that I mean the thought of losing houses and land, of persecution of any kind, we see all that as this great tribulation that we should not have to endure. But you know how the Christians felt back in those days? You know what the focal point was in the Bible? And it's all over the place. Their focal point was being righteous and holy at Christ's coming. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Being saved is not the only thing that makes us ready. If you're saved, you're going to go up in the rapture. But if you're not right with God, if you're backslidden, and all of a sudden you find out Jesus is about to return... You're not going to be excited about it. At least you shouldn't be excited about it. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, who's he talking to here? He's talking to believers and he's saying, hey, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's scary. And knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because you know what? There was a time when believers, they had enough fear of God that the thought of them being backslidden and carnal at His return was a scary thought for them. Because they knew, I'm going to stand before Him. I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be judged according to my works. My position in the kingdom of God is going to be based off what I have done in my body. And I don't want to meet the Lord when I am in sin. And when I am in a carnal condition, I want to be ready. I want to be waiting for him. I want him to return and I want him to find me serving. And you know what? Maybe the Thessalonian church was a little backslidden. Or maybe they were just growing and they're it was like, you know, we're not ready yet. We're trying to be better. We want to be more like him. That used to be the mentality of believers. 
But no, this guy, he, this preacher, you know, he's talking about, you know, it's a blessed hope, you know, the imminent return that Jesus could come at any moment. And these people, they never read all the book of Titus. They don't even read all of Titus chapter two that shows that the blessed hope is not that Jesus Christ could come today and we won't have to go through tribulation. The blessed hope, if you study that passage, it's that one of these days we will physically be like Christ. So back then, Christians, they wanted to be like Christ. They had a desire to be holy, but you know what the attitude of Christians is today? The American Christian today, how much can I get away with? How much sin can I do and it be okay in the church? Oh, this church preaches too hard against sin. I'm going to go to the more liberal church. Who cares? You know, we're all sinners. As long as you're saved, we're all still going to go to heaven, right? Well, yeah, as long as you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. But do you want to stand before God? Do you want to meet Jesus? Having been a sorry servant, having done nothing for him. And I'm telling you right now, the thought of an imminent return, it should scare people. But you know what? It, well, it doesn't. It excites most carnal Christians today. They love the thought that Jesus Christ could come just because to them, it's all my troubles are done. But they forget you're going to have to stand before Christ. And you are going to be ashamed at his coming. The Bible talks about that. Says, and so, but no, Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You know what that tells me? Paul scared people with the coming of Christ. He scared people with that. And so, you know, these, these guys, they get on us like, you know, we're putting fear in the hearts of people. Well, you know what? Paul preached in a way that it put fear in the heart of people. Like, oh, I don't want the rapture to come today. I got to get ready. I need to do something for God. But you know what? You are not going to see that kind of mentality in your typical American Fox News Baptist Church. They could care less about that kind of stuff. They just want to get out of heaven so they don't have to worry about paying their bills. And they, it's like, they, we're Christians. We shouldn't have to go through any tribulation. And it is. It's, it's a sad mentality that I think is exclusive to Americans. I really do. But First John 2.28 says, And now little children abide in Him. And when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Do you all see that? Look how many people are like, you know, return, you know, Christ can come back today. Christ can come back today. And they're as wicked as all get out. They're as carnal and as backslidden as all get out. They don't even know. They are so dumb as Christians. They don't even know they should be ashamed if Jesus Christ came today. They're too carnal to realize that if Jesus Christ came today, they wouldn't be excited. They would be ashamed at his coming. And that's what it says right there. Mark 13, 34. And this is another passage. This is an Olivet Discourse passage. The updated, the updated pre-trib doctrine teaches that this is not our rapture. But they will use this verse to prove an imminent rapture over and over again. But look what it says in Mark 13, 34. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house, house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto you all, watch. He's saying, don't let him come back and find you sleeping. And well, why? Because we'll be ashamed at that. We want to be busy. We want to be doing something for him at his coming. And it's so hilarious. I, I literally, I laugh. I love hearing people tell me that the Olivet Discourse is not about the rapture and then use these passages 
to prove an imminent return because we were told to watch. It could happen at any time. Come at any, you know, it could come at any time. And these passages do not prove imminent. See, and I don't have time to go into that. But it does tell us here in this passage that we don't want to be caught sleeping when he returns. But you know what? The typical Fox News Baptists today, they are sleeping. They are sound asleep and they're going to be ashamed at his return. And so you know what? These people in the Thessalonian, the church of Thessalonica, I believe that they're like, you know, we want, be, we want to be better Christians. We want to have grown. We want to have accomplished some things for them. And apparently, you know, he said, you know, talked about uh, not to be troubled in word or by letter as from us is that the day of Christ is at hand. Some people speculate that maybe somebody had wrote a letter saying it was from Paul telling them that the return of Christ or the day of Christ was imminent. And it scared them because they're not ready. They're growing. They're learning. They're a growing church, but like, you know, we still have a ways to go. We want to be more like Christ. And this thinking is completely foreign to most Christians today. Thinking that, no, I don't want the Lord to come back. I want to be a better Christian first. I want to do something for him first. That is not the mentality today. But you know what? We do see that all over the epistles of Paul. And the blessed hope was not the imminent rapture so we don't have to go through tribulation. It's that we would be like Christ without sin. Because that ought to be the goal. We know Jesus Christ is going to come back. We know that when we see Him, we are going to be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And the Bible says, Every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. What we're supposed to be doing as Christians is trying to be more holy, trying to be more Christ-like, because when He returns, we want to be as much like Him as possible. We want the change that takes place in our vile bodies to be as little as possible. That, that should be the goal. That should be the motivation. But that is not the motivation in churches today. And that's not what preachers are teaching their people. They're just teaching them, you know, any moment, any moment, we can be out of here at any moment before the service is over. The trumpet can sound and we're out of here. That's something to be excited about. No, we should actually scare people with that. Are you sure you want Jesus Christ coming back today in your lousy condition? You're going to stand before Him. Are you sure you want that to happen? And you know what? What excites me about tribulation is there's nothing that purifies the church. There is nothing that makes people better Christians than some good old-fashioned tribulation. And so if we are really serious about being like Christ, we should welcome tribulation. And that's why Paul says we glory in tribulation. We glory in it. That's not what you hear from Baptists today. No, we've not been appointed under wrath. We shouldn't have to go through anything. And tribulation is not even the wrath of God. But, that, but that's, they think it is. They think if they had to lose their house, they're under the wrath of God. I lost my job. I'm under the wrath of God. I'm going through tribulation. What's going on? But that, the blessed hope, it's not, it's not that Christ could come at any moment, but that we, could be, that we will be like Christ one day. But the typical Baptists today, they, they could care less about that. And so for your typical lukewarm American Fox News Baptist, you know, it would be tribulation to have to go through anything. Just a, another financial collapse, a housing bubble bursting or something like that. You know, it, it, would, it would ruin us, you know, because, you know, we'd lose our cars, our home security and our overabundance of food that we have. I mean, if they had to skip a meal, they'd think they were going through tribulation in America today. But, you know, Pastor Fat Belly and Pastor Fat Wallet, they've been doing everything they can 
to make sure that their congregation can continue living a life of tranquility and you can care less about your spiritual condition. As long as they're giving their tithe and filling the pew, they don't care. And the last thing they're going to get up and do is tell them the truth about tribulation. Tell them the truth about holy living. Because if they do, their people are going to get uncomfortable and they're going to go to Pastor Skinny Jean's church where he doesn't preach all that junk. They're going to go to his church where they don't have to listen to that stuff and then they're going to get his money. And then, what's that pastor supposed to do? He might have to get out and start knocking doors again. And he doesn't remember how to do that because he hasn't knocked a door in 10 years. And so... They're, they're, it's like his job now to just lull the people to sleep. And that's all they're doing in these churches anymore. But he said, he said the day of Christ is not the rapture. Because he admitted the day of Christ is not imminent. But is the day of Christ the rapture? Well, it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all see that? We want to be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the day of the Lord and the day of Christ are different. You know, the day of the Lord is one thing. The day of Christ is another thing. The day of the Lord Jesus Christ is another thing. I I don't know know where they come up with this. But we're supposed to be blameless until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if the day of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't until after the rapture, that's going to be easy. Because we're going to have our glorified bodies at that point. So yeah, we're going to be really blameless at that point. That's a piece of cake. Why is he even challenging them on that? That's automatic. If the day of Christ is after the rapture, it says in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, that ye may approve all things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense Till the day of Christ. You see that? You see what the focal point is supposed to be when it comes to the rapture? It's not that we're getting out of tribulation. It's that we will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Because we're going to be, what we do in the kingdom is going to be based on our works on this earth. And we want to be, you know, without blame. We want to be as much like Him as possible. But you will not hear about this in your typical you know, rapture message in a pre-trib church. They're not talking about that. They're going to tell you about how horrible everything is in this world, about your how terrible everything is in your life. You know, Miss So-and-so, you know, dying of cancer right now. You're going to be dead within three months probably, but wouldn't it be nice if Jesus just came back today and you didn't have to die? You know I mean? That, 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 that's all they do. Like, it's just the rapture, it's all about getting away from all your problems. No, we talk about the rapture as a warning to Christians that get get on the ball. Start becoming like Christ. He's coming back and you want to be ready. But no, preachers today, they preach a rapture and it's a feel-good, long-to-sleep message. No wonder we got so many lukewarm, Laodicean Christians. And they're lukewarm and it's not because we're in the Laodicean church age. There's always been Laodicean churches. And that, that's another subject for another day. But Philippians 2.16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So it's so clear that the day of Christ is the rapture. There's no doubt about that, that the day of Christ is the rapture. Most pre-tribbers will admit that the day of Christ is the rapture, but then they got to do backflips and hula hoops and all these things with 2 Thessalonians 2. But this pastor at least admitted that the day of Christ is not imminent. But then he showed where the day of, the, 
rapture is imminent in Romans chapter 13. You've got to turn over there. Turn over Romans chapter 13. You've got to see this. This proves the desperation to hang on to pre-trib and an imminent return. Look at what he did with Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And that knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of our sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And he mentioned this, and he was absolutely right, that that's not talking about like when we get saved. We got saved when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's talking about the salvation of our flesh. And that happens at the rapture. Our flesh will be saved. We will be changed and made like Christ. I absolutely agree with them there. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believe? Yes, the rapture is closer than when we believe. Look at this. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Y'all see that? The day is at hand. It's at hand. The day of Christ is not at hand, but the day of the rapture is at hand. That is what he said. And made a big deal about it. Well, let's, let's, let's keep reading. That's always the magic word, magic thing you do to refute their doctrine. Just keep reading. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Why do we want to cast off the work of darkness? Because Jesus is coming back. We want to put on the armor of light because Jesus is coming back. You see the theme of trying to be like Christ when He comes back? Verse 13, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. When it talks about the day is at hand, it's not talking about the day of the Lord or the day of Christ or the day of the rapture. It's saying we're not in darkness anymore because at night it's dark, correct? And you can't see clearly. But in the daytime, it's light and you can see clearly, correct? And so he's saying we're not in darkness anymore. You know why? The day is at hand. What does that mean? It means we can now see. We can now see what we need to do. We can now see the truth. It's not talking about the day of the rapture. It's just saying day is at hand. We are children of the light. So you know what? We're going to walk in the light. We are in the day right now. We're not in darkness. Those of us who are saved, we are in the light. We are in the day. So there is no excuse for us to be tripping and stumbling and falling and going into sin because we're walking in the light. Now, lost people, they're, they're in the night, aren't they? They're in darkness. And so they do. They trip. They stumble. They fall. They are lost. They are in sin. But when you get saved, we are now in the light. We are in the day. That's what that's talking about. And to use that to prove that the rapture is imminent is a stretch a mile and a half long. That it shows the desperation of these people. So the day mentioned there, you know, in there, it's not the day of the Lord, but it's daytime is what it's talking about. Meaning we're not in the night or darkness anymore. We are in the daytime or light. So we have no excuse. There is no excuse for us to be doing the works of darkness. Okay? No excuse for the works of darkness. We are in the day now. So, having said that, let's go ahead and keep reading in chapter 2. So it mentions, you know, that day shall not come except falling away, all those things. Man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. 
And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So right there we see the mystery of iniquity mentioned. Okay? And this is important that we understand the timing of, of these things. So we believe we have tribulation. And of course, we're not going to read through Matthew 24, but you have the tribulation. You have the abomination of desolation. And then after the abomination of desolation, the Bible says, then there shall be great tribulation. And then after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will turn to blood, you know, and then the Lord, He's going to appear, He's going to send His angels uh, the sound of a trumpet, they're going to gather His elect. That's the order of events that we believe. And that's important because Paul here is stating very clearly that the day of Christ or the rapture is not going to come. We prove the day of Christ is rapture till the falling away happen and the man of sin is revealed. And it talks about the mystery of iniquity that's already worked. So what is that mystery of iniquity? And that word iniquity means you know injustice or unrighteousness. And I believe that it's an attempted counterfeit of the mystery of godliness that we talked about two weeks ago. Remember the mystery of godliness? 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is this mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Talking about Jesus Christ, right? God was manifest in the flesh. That was the mystery of godliness. God became a man. And I believe that the mystery of iniquity is Satan who is antichrist or another Christ. He is trying to imitate what God did or what Jesus did. And so God was manifest in the flesh as Jesus Christ. He was the Christ. But Satan is going to try to do the same thing. He is going to try to be man. He's going to, or he is going, I believe he's going to succeed. He's going to be manifest in the flesh. But he's not going to be able to do it like Jesus did. He's not going to be able to be born of a virgin or anything like that. That was something exclusive to God. Only God can do that. Behold, I give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Satan doesn't have the power to be born of a virgin like Jesus did. But once again, he's, he's a counterfeiter. He's a phony. He's a fraud. And I wouldn't be surprised if when the Antichrist comes on the scene, there's rumors that he's virgin born. I, I, wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if that, if that took place. It might happen. It might not. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I believe Satan, though, he is going to try, he is going to, try to pass himself off as Christ. Okay, he's Antichrist. Look what it says in verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And isn't that interesting? Because this has been what Satan has wanted all along. Go back to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Famous passage of Scripture. This is what Satan has always wanted. He has always wanted to be God. And it says in verse 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which is weak in the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. But i got to read the next part just because I like it. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? I love that because the world is going to be impressed with the beast. 
The world is going to go nuts on it. The, the world is going to go as nuts on the Antichrist as the Baptists are on Donald Trump today. The Baptists are going so crazy on Donald Trump today, I'm starting to wonder if he is the Antichrist. I mean, the way they are singing his praises. And listen, the, the Antichrist... He's going to be the one that's going to bring peace in Jerusalem. He's going to be the one that's going to help Israel get their land. All these things that Baptists are screaming for for Israel, the Antichrist is going to make it all happen. And these Baptists are acting like Trump is this wonderful Christian because of what he's doing for Israel. And it's like, do you people not realize? And you know what? And I think they do realize it, but in their messed up minds, it's like, it's okay because this just means. We're getting closer to the rapture and we're not going to be here for it. But you know, I'm not going to say what just went through my head, but it, I do, man. I think Baptists are going to be praising the Antichrist. I really do. I think Fox News is going to love him. Therefore, mainstream Baptists are going to love him. So, look, but look what it says. Uh, I lost my spot. Oh, verse 16. Yeah, they'll nearly look upon thee, consider thee, saying, is. This is the man that made the earth to tremble and shake the kingdoms. After, you know, the world's going to go nuts over the Antichrist, but after they see Jesus, after Jesus Christ returns, they're going to be like, why were we impressed with this guy? They're going to narrow this is This is the one that did all that? What in the world? How did we fall for this guy? You know why? Because Satan is nothing compared to Jesus Christ. He wants to be like, he's trying to convince himself he is. He's been saying it from the beginning. He got lifted up with pride. He's like, I will be like the Most High. And a day is coming where he is going to walk the earth in the form of a man. And I believe he's, I believe he's going to indwell a man, the Antichrist. We'll get into that in a little bit. But man, first thing he's going to do, he's going to go strutting into that temple. And he is going to declare himself to be God. Because that's what he has wanted from the beginning. He is going to declare himself to be the Christ. And you know what? Most of the world is going to go along with it. And those who don't, people like myself, he's going to make war with them. And I say, bring it on. Well, you realize he's probably going to kill you. So what? (laughs) There's not much time left anyway. You know? And I'm going to be coming right back after he kills me. And so I'm not worried about it at all. I glory in tribulation like Paul. I'm not your mainstream Baptist. Terrified of it. Criticizing people who talk about it. I'm not like that. But notice what it mentions before that happens. It mentions only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So who is this that has to be taken out of the way? Now, the main idea on this is that it's the Holy Spirit. And I don't even want to waste a lot of time on talking about why it's not the Holy Spirit. And even... You know, even if they want that to be their position, they have to admit that that is a weak argument. Seeing as the Holy Spirit hasn't been mentioned yet, and all of a sudden it's talking about He. And this pastor too, he went back and he showed other verses in the Bible where it referred to the Holy Spirit as He. But that's because it had just mentioned the Holy Spirit before that. If you look at those verses and you just back up, you'll see that it had just been talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay? And just basic English... You know, you don't use the term he unless that, you know, there's that antecedent, unless you've mentioned, if I'm talking about brother Lonnie and then I'm talking about him, I was, I went to brother Lonnie's house and when I was there, he made something for me to eat. And you're going to know who the he is because I had just mentioned brother Lonnie. But in this case, the one who's just been mentioned, it's the, it's the antichrist. It's the man of sin. 
that's mentioned. Not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hasn't been mentioned yet. But the Baptists need him to be because, and what this preacher was doing too, he kept referring to a restrainer. A restrainer. Well, where do you get the word restrainer from? Well, it means the same thing. Well, where do you get the word restrainer from? Why isn't he using the King James term? Why is he using the term restrainer? Well, it's probably because in Darby's Bible, in the John Nelson Darby, Father of Dispensationalism Bible, 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 says, And now ye know that which restrains that he should be revealed in his own time. I wonder if they, they must have got the whole restraining thing from the dispensational books, which is where they get all their end times doctrine. They don't get it from their King James Bible. They get it from their dispensational books. And why would you say restrainer when that's not the term the Bible uses, but it just happens to be what the Darby version of the Bible uses? And you will see that I'm seeing more and more of this because I don't read other versions of the Bible. But I've seen it and at the prophecy conference, a lot of this stuff was covered where they're showing other versions of the Bible, how they teach 2 Thessalonians 2 and a lot of the things about the Jews that Baptists, while they will read a King James verse, they interpret it identically as to what the NIV says and other versions of the Bible. And so Baptists, they're not reading other versions of the Bible to get their doctrine, but they're listening to the charismatics. They're reading books written by people that aren't King James only. They're reading books by dispensationalists. Guys like Darby. Well, I, I never read Darby in my life. Yeah, but you read a book that was written by a guy who was inspired by Darby. Okay, And, and the terminology, it got grandfathered in to your doctrine. But I, I find that interesting how they do that. But who is this restrainer? Who, you know, when it says he did not let it. Or who is it that's hindering? Who is it that is stopping from this mystery of iniquity from happening. What is this, what is this talking about? Uh, and who is taking out away? Well, look at Revelation chapter 13. Turn over to Revelation chapter 13. And people will make the argument too that no, Paul didn't know about this yet. This wasn't revealed until Revelation. It wasn't revealed until later. But here's the thing. We don't know everything that Paul knew. We don't know everything that Paul taught the people. We do know that Paul had received many revelations of God to where, I mean, if he wasn't careful, you know, he could glory and people could start, you know, lifting him up. God revealed a lot of things to him. And so it is very possible that a lot of the events that the Bible doesn't record until the book of Revelation that Paul might have already known about these things. And you know what? You can't get past the fact that what Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians 2 lines up perfectly with what we're going to read in Revelation chapter 13. And in verse 1, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with them? And it's believed that the Antichrist is probably going to die. And that, that deadly wound that killed him is going to be healed. And most people believe, and I, I personally believe, that he at that point will be inhabited by Satan himself. That's what I believe. I believe that we will see the mystery of iniquity Satan 
in the flesh. I believe the Antichrist will originally be just a wicked, wicked man. But then, after he dies, I believe, I believe he's going to be totally possessed by Satan. Does that mean Satan's going to maybe heal him and inhabit him? Or is he just going to be inhabiting a dead body? I don't know how it all works. But I do believe that Satan is going to be in this man of sin, just like Satan had entered into Judas Iscariot. He did it with him, and I believe he's going to do it with this man. And both the Antichrist and Judas Iscariot were referred to as the son of perdition. And I believe Satan himself will inhabit this man. And, because, uh, and that's what the mystery of iniquity is. And it, uh, let's keep reading. It says, And they were given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. What were those blasphemies? Declaring himself to be God. That would be blasphemy right there. It wasn't blasphemy when Jesus did it, was it? Because Jesus was God. But it will be blasphemy when Satan does it because Satan is not God. It says, And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Okay, I believe this is going to happen around the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week that he is going to be killed. And I believe after he comes back to life and is inhabited by Satan, I think one of the first things he is going to do, one of the first things Satan is going to do when he is walking this earth as a man is he is going to go into that temple and he's going to declare himself to be God. First thing he's going to, he's going to implement the mark of the beast as a way to make war with the saints. First thing he's going to try, he is going to kill those saints. He is going to kill God's people that he hates. And it's not the Jews, it's us. It's believers. And he, uh, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell, there, dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given, un, uh, given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear to hear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon and he exercises all power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them that dwell, which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. It's talking about the false prophet. He is going to cause people to worship the beast, which is exactly what Satan wants, which is exactly what he has been looking for. And so, the one who I believe is taken out of the way is the man of sin. When he is killed, Satan will enter into that man of sin and... He's gonna, it's gonna be bad. All hell's gonna break loose. Satan is gonna do a lot of damage. And so I believe, I believe that's clearly what he's talking about. The mystery of iniquity is Satan indwelling a man. Satan in the flesh. Just like the mystery of godliness is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But he's gotta do it in his counterfeit, cheap way. He can't, he cannot do the same thing that God did. But notice too, alright, and uh, go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want you to see this. So it, after it says in verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. See, I don't believe he, Satan's revealed or the Antichrist is revealed until Satan enters into him, until the abomination of desolation. That's what you said, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation. That is the event. 
when we're going we're gonna to know for sure. And we might know before that, but I can't dogmatically say that we will. People are like, well, when he confirms a covenant with many for one week, we'll know. Are you sure about that? Are you absolutely positive about that? I, I'm not positive. We might. I hope so. I hope we know, but I don't know that for sure. But then look at verse 9. Even him, so it's talking about he's going to destroy with the brightness of his coming. Talking about Jesus Christ. Even him, Jesus Christ, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So right here it says that Christ's coming is going to be after the working of Satan. People are like, that's Armageddon, that's Armageddon. Well then tell me why for years and years and still today, people have said, if you've had it, if you've heard the gospel and you've rejected it after the rapture comes, it's going to be too late for you. That's what people have taught for years. That if you don't take the chance now that the people who rejected, they will not be able to get saved during the tribulation. They get that from verse 10. Okay? But at the same time, they're trying to tell us now that that's not the rapture right there. In verse 9. And notice what it says there. So once again, this is one more update the pre-tribbers are going to have to do. They're running out of Scripture. All right? They didn't have really any to begin with. All right? They had twisted Scriptures and were taking them all away. One by one. And I love it. I, I haven't heard anybody say Shekinah glory and I don't know how long. All right? Thank God you know, we're, we are, you know, we're taking away a lot of the false doctrine. And, but some people are getting desperate. And this, and this guy, he was desperate. But look at what it says. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. We'll turn over to Matthew chapter 24. We're not going to read all of chapter 24, but after the abomination of desolation, alright, we're after that, it says, for then, in verse 21, shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, nor to this time, nor, nor ever shall be. Did you know this is the only place in the Bible where it talks about any of Daniel's 70th week being tribulation? It's the only place. Yet they're like, Daniel's 70th week, that proves a seven-year tribulation. To confirm a covenant with many for one week. But it doesn't use the word tribulation in there. It just says he'll confirm a covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he'll cause the sacrifice and ablation to cease. So, you know, where do you get seven-year tribulation? But right here, it says, after the tribulation of those days, this is right after the abomination of desolation, after the tribulation... Look what it uh, says in um, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Something is going to shorten it for the saved people. That, my friends, is called the rapture. In verse 23. That if any man say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. People are going to be saying, Hey, there's Christ. Believe it not. I can think of one place where they're going to be saying that in Jerusalem. In the temple, there's going to be a false prophet saying, there is Christ. The Bible says, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders that if it were possible, they shall see the very elect. Y'all see that? They're going to show great signs and wonders. Verse 9, even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all signs or with all power and signs and lying wonders. 
So you all see that the order of events is exactly the same. And then um, if you keep reading there in verse uh, 22, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Uh, but oh, I already read that. Verse 25. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For his lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even over the west. So shall come also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcasses, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Do you all see how, while there's more details in Matthew chapter 24, the main events are in the exact same order? Abomination of desolation, signs and lying wonders, rapture. Same thing. And they'll, these guys, they, they've got to just drop dispensationalism. They've got to drop it. It's confusing them. It's messing them all up. Oh, that's, that's Armageddon. That's rapture of the Jews. But if, if you're going to be consistent, hey, you've got to stop using 2 Thessalonians 2, you know, they might all be damned and saying people who wait until after the rapture, it's going to be too late. I thought that wasn't the rapture. Stop using Matthew 24 and all of that discourse to prove an imminent rapture. They're all doing it. It doesn't work at all. But, uh, but one of the reasons these people are so messed up and they can't even figure out what the mystery of iniquity is is because they're trying to force it into a pre-trib timeline. And it just doesn't work because that's false. The mystery of iniquity is Satan trying to imitate what God did with Jesus Christ. The mystery of godliness. And it's a cheap counterfeit. It's not the same thing. And the real mystery of godliness, Jesus Christ, He is going to show up and He is going to destroy the mystery of iniquity. And He is going to lock Him up in a bottomless pit for a thousand years, only to let Him out in a thousand years so He can beat Him up again. This time for good. That's what Satan has looked forward to. And I'm excited about that. And so I hope that was a help to you. And that clears up what the mystery of iniquity is. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, thank You so much for uh, what we had to look forward to. And we're excited about Your coming, dear God. And I just pray You'll help us to be ready. I pray You'll help us to become more like You and to be Christ-like. And we'll not, not be the typical lukewarm Baptist that's just want You to come because uh, they just don't want to deal with trouble anymore. But we will be ready for Your coming. Lord, that we will be like You. Pray you'll bless each one for coming out tonight. We thank you so much for them. In your name we pray. Amen.